Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, written by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 7 and 8 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. Can't get hold of my feelings with you in my head. Not afraid of the dark. I really love our song, though. Right? So, Libby, how's your week been? Not too bad. I'm down three teeth. I got my wisdom teeth out. That's been fun. I don't know a single person who would say wisdom teeth removal is fun. Um, you know... I, I don't think I, I should have said that either. It really wasn't. It wasn't that great. In fact, I absolutely humiliated myself with my dentist um, because right beforehand, they put some nitrous gas mask on me and I was starting to get a little bit tired, a little bit out of it. And they went to go ahead and the IV in so that they could knock me out completely. Um, they told me how nice my veins were and me being kind of out of it. I was like, yeah, thanks. Uh, I do this a lot. And that was kind of the last thing I said. <laughs> I got I did notice the look of confusion I got because I didn't have time to explain that I get my blood drawn quite a bit so I just left them with that little tidbit of I do this a lot and then I was knocked out they're like you get knocked out with nitrous a lot they're like do we need to look up a history on this chick is this normal for you uh, yeah and so then when I woke up I was being wheeled out to the car and going home so I didn't even get to like try to explain myself then so I don't I don't know so to my to my dentist if you're if you're somehow listening i don't get knocked out by nitrous a lot that's not what i meant at all so i'm so sorry are you healing like you you good um <laughs> there's there's a possibility that i have a dry socket is what that's called <gasps> yeah so <laughs> that would explain because like i had basically zero pain at all well so out of the three areas the teeth were removed two of them have been just fine like not no issues whatsoever golden i i've been able to like eat like normal around those areas but the other one it's been an absolute nightmare it's been awful oh it's so bad it's been really awful oh my god and we have like five or six different of those like little gel ice pack thingies and only one of them is like good so every time i use them they melt with in like two minutes and it just makes me angrier and i'm like i i hate everything right now question is there anything you can do about dry socket did you use like a straw or no i didn't use a straw or anything like everything i was reading was just like it's possible that the blood clot like could have just like gotten dislodged like who knows it just happens sometimes right it's horrible everything about it is gross and icky and i i don't know how but tiktok like heard me talking about it and now like my algorithm is half book talk half people complaining about their dry sockets from wisdom teeth extraction i got my wisdom teeth out like three days before i started my new job and i remember being like this is not a smart idea but it's the only time i could get it done yeah my face is definitely still swollen like i look in the mirror and i'm like that's not how i look that's not me you look cute you look like a little chipmunk a little chipmunk (laughs) my daughter's like She's like rubbing my cheek and sometimes she'll poke. She's like, you feel that? I'm like, yeah, I do. Can you like stop it? You're like, sure do, buddy. 
it's still there like i i don't know it's like every time you want me she wants you to feel comfortable and loved and then she's like but i can't make you feel too safe gotta keep you on your toes listen she's too smart for her own good um do you know who's not too smart for her own good oh no i don't who my dog oh no she tried to make her way over the doggy heaven rainbow bridge this week tried to cross the into the pearly gate by eating rat poison Mm. do i know how she found the rat poison no i did not put this rat poison out in the house that i'm renting but she sure as hell found it and started you know to eat it as you know dumb dogs do you mean you don't leave poison out for your pets to find no that's not my go-to daily activity and so when i look down and i think she's eating a, a piece of lettuce i dropped down for her and instead it's not a piece of lettuce it's very much you know uh rat poison oh. i kind of freaked out a little bit just a little bit you know I'm sure there are plenty of people who would choose rat poison over lettuce as well out there, but I wouldn't suggest it. So she ate rat poison. Is she okay? Uh, we hope. We don't really know. Don't like that. That's not the answer I want. You apparently don't know anything until like 14 days after they eat it to make sure their like hemoglobin levels are good. Mm. When she ate it, I started panicking. I'm like, what do you do? And I Googled it and they were like, hey, so like she's going to like just bleed out everywhere. Her kidneys are going to fail. Oh, she's going to die. And I was like, oh, this is my best friend and that will not be happening. Being in Italy and not speaking Italian really didn't do me justice here. Oh, no. I had to go on like our Facebook page and try to find a vet that spoke English. Thank God I found a 24-hour emergency vet, but I called and somebody who didn't speak English answered the phone and I start sobbing and yelling in English, my dog ate rat poison. And she goes, uh... Okay, but imagine like getting a call from someone who speaks another language and they're screaming at you in the other language crying like we got somebody that spoke English. She was a very, very nice doctor vet lady. And she told me to take a deep breath and that it wasn't a matter of minutes. It was a matter of like a day, just making sure that we get the poison out of her. Okay. So we brought her to the vet. They made her throw up a lot and gave her a vitamin K shot, vitamin K1, which apparently is responsible for making your hemoglobin. So, you know, I'm learning things about people and dogs. Uh, so she theoretically is good to go. They said, if we start to notice like any issues with her being like fatigued, fatigued or her gums turning white that we should probably get worried and like take her to the emergency vet but no i'm she's doing great she's got all the energy in the world we do now call her rat poison though is she responding to that new name yeah i think we've said it enough at this point that she's like oh me rat poison yeah that's me that's me oh stop it cute so um me and my new dog rat poison are we're doing great <laughs> Nova is uh, back to her completely normal, happy self. I do keep checking her gums though, because the anxiety in me is like, they said her gums will be white if something's wrong. So anytime they're less than like bright bubblegum pink, I'm like, that's it, she's dead. <laughs> and James is like, they look the same as earlier. And I'm like, nope, they're white. They went from Pepto-Bismol pink to ballet pink. And that's too much of a difference. Gotta go. No, but it was really cool to like go and get this emergency service for my dog and have it all completed within like an hour. I have a question, Libby. How much do you think her vet visit was? It was an emergency vet visit where she got two different shots and 10 days of this vitamin K medicine. What do you think the total was? Um, 
I mean, I don't see, I don't know how it is in Italy, but I bet in America it would have been upwards of like more than $500, I bet. $138. Are you kidding me? That's it. You're joking. No, for emergency vet care. I've heard of scheduled visits costing more than that in, in America. Our scheduled visit to get our paperwork, just our paperwork to come over to Italy was $200. We were absolutely shocked. Like the vet even said, hey, I want to give her this medicine. I can't guarantee that even though she did throw up, I can't guarantee that she threw up all of the all of the um, rat poison. So we just wanted to give her this medicine. We are going to warn you though, it is expensive. And James and I were like, it doesn't, I will spend a million dollars on this dog. She's our best friend. Like it does not matter. And so when we went out and they said $138 and the woman said, I'm so sorry, we both busted out laughing <laughs> because James and I checked our bank accounts and made sure we had like multiple thousands to spend on this vet. $138. So I'm not sure I want to return to America after that. I don't blame you. Uh, hey, Libby, guess what? Yes. What? We actually have a listener's question of the week that got submitted. Oh, my favorite. Our first. I'm not kidding. Like, I've been waiting for this moment. All I want, I want so badly to get, like, the listener emails. Like, I, I really do. So I'm excited. The question here is, if you could travel to any place on your next trip, where would it be? I mean, I know where my husband would go. No, not your husband, you. <laughs> not synonymous. You know where my husband would go. <laughs> he would go to any Disneyland that exists in the entire world. <laughs> it could be a, a backyard Disney park and he'd go... <laughs> He didn't get to live out his childhood. <laughs> All right. He didn't get to do these things. You know my love of Skylar, but I am not a Disney adult. He didn't get to do those things as a kid. So now like he's got an adult budget with childhood dreams. It's just, it's a combination that doesn't fail. But where would you go? I'm torn. There's so many places I want to go. Um, So like I've been to South Korea before. Oh. I visited my dad there. And it was amazing. And like, I, I, I think I went for about a week. It was just a, a really cool experience. We traveled all over and I wish we would have gotten to spend more time in Seoul. Um, but at the same time, I want to, I want to go to places like, like you just went to Rome and like, like, I want to go to Rome. I want to do Rome things. There's, there's a lot of places I want to go to. I, I don't think there's a wrong answer. I've been to Germany when I was younger though. So I wouldn't mind going back and seeing like the castles in Germany. Germany is gorgeous germany is one of my favorite places so i'm just gonna i'll be there in a, in a few minutes and we'll just we'll just go to all the places so is your answer europe can europe be my answer i feel like it's a blanket answer but can it like can i blanket answer that and just say like all of europe because yeah yeah all right let's do that i think i would probably go to ireland I literally wrote a paper in high school, my senior year. We had to like write this senior, like 12 chapter book. And one of it was like, I've always wanted to visit Ireland. And it's something that's never gone away. I've always wanted to visit. I am 0% Irish. I don't know why I want to go there so bad, except that it's beautiful. So that is, I think we're going to make that dream a reality next summer and go up to Ireland and just spend, even if it's just a couple days. You're going to make Skylar so jealous. Uh, you ready to read your chapter? I am. Chapter 7. Favorite is returned to the dining room by Alice to find the two fey males drinking from goblets made of real gold. Favorite thinks of all the wealth surrounding them and the nothingness her kind back home have in comparison. Favorite's hunger takes over and her kidnappers tease her further about the food being safe. Lucian reveals our monster's name to be Tamlin and that Tamlin's skills in charming a woman have been weakened in recent decades. Tamlin does not appear decades old, but fey are said to be immortal, so he could easily be hundreds if not thousands of years old. 
Lucian snidely comments on Feyre looking better, despite her choice to forego a dress and wear a tunic instead. Feyre simply states that she prefers not to wear a dress, leaving Lucian further confused by her choices. Tamlin interjects that Feyre can unalive them with ease in pants. Feyre wills herself to remain calm and asks what Tamlin plans to do with her now that she is his captive. Tamlin refuses to answer her question, instead making demands again for her to sit and eat. Favor resists as she is feeling more like the meal than the food before them. Tamlin prepares a plate for Favor, but again she refuses, more so to keep her distance from the predator. Tamlin continues to fill the plate with food, commenting that Favor should feel honored that he is doing such a thing for her. The alluring food now piled in front of her. Favor sits on her hands to fight the growing urge to stuff her face. Tamlin offers Favor an olive branch of sorts by telling her she looked better and clean. Favor isn't entirely sure if he is trying to compliment her, though. At this point, she is so desperately hungry she could have hallucinated the attempt altogether. She feels that would be more likely. Feyre questions again what will happen to her now that she is here. Tamlin shortly answers, nothing, do what you want. Feyre not expecting this and for clarification asks if she is or is not his slave, which offends Tamlin. Tamlin sternly assures her that she is not. Physically, Feyre is relieved. Mentally, her guard is not down. Feyre pushes further, wanting to know what she expected to do with her new life. Tamlin makes it clear he simply doesn't care, and it's not his problem. Tamlin and Lucian indirectly suggest that Feyre follow her hobbies and interests. In an attempt to protect herself, Feyre claims she does not have any. With that, it's made clear again that the only expectation is for her to simply live and live there. Feyre's anger boils, knowing there is no purpose for her here. Her family relied on her, and she had been dragged away to live a pampered but useless life. She asks if she may somehow atone and be released from the tree. Lucian retorts with his own question, have you even apologized yet? Feyre tosses an I'm sorry his way and the gloves are off. Lucian and Feyre go back and forth over the details of Andrus's death. Eventually, Tamlin demands the verbal duel to end, but Feyre insists to go home, sharply snapping back and bursting with rage over her family knowing too well what it means to be starving with no end in sight, while these creatures didn't seem to know what, what it meant to struggle at all. Tamlin swears her family is not only alive despite her absence, but well taken care of. This is not enough for Feyre. The argument builds into insults over the trustworthiness of the Fae. Feyre attempts to storm off, but Tamlin uses his magic again to control and restrict her movements. Tamlin warns Feyre that she can do whatever and be wherever within Prithian, but if she returns over the wall, her family would no longer be cared for. Feyre absorbs this. Tamlin does not allow Feyre to speak again when she next tries. Rather, he makes it clear that she will sit and she will eat. Feyre can see that she has no choice but to comply since she is bound by the magic still. Feyre eats and eats and eats until Tamlin decides that she has had enough and cuts her off. The magic loosens and Feyre again tries to leave for bed. Lucian engages Feyre in conversation though over why she and most humans are so disgusted with their kind. Before she can indulge him, he subtly adds that the only logical reason for her to want to go home is that she had a suitor waiting. Favor taunts that she was close with a man, but no, it wasn't love. Tamlin, now interested and seemingly bothered, asks if there were another she had loved. No, Favor tells them both, then questions why this of all things is the information that they want to know about her. The Fae males brush off her curiosity and dismiss her to bed. She thanks Tamlin sincerely. 
for sparing her life before taking her leave of them. Feyre does not sleep well and is awake before dawn. The bed she lays in feels too big. She misses the warmth of her sisters while cramming into their bed together. Feyre assumes, though, that Nesta is enjoying the extra space without her and probably doesn't even care what happened to Feyre. Feyre wonders if returning home to her family would be considered a good thing to them. Feyre's thoughts flow to Tamlin's piss-poor attempt at a compliment to her the night before, when suddenly Alice becomes entwined in the trap Feyre had laid with curtain trimmings. Alice is unsure why Feyre would even bother with the trap. Feyre explains it is more of an alarm so that she can at least try to escape. Alice bemuses that Feyre thinks she can outrun them, but Feyre tells her she doesn't. She just doesn't want to die unaware of what's happening. Alice laughs and informs her that all the staff must obey the order to let her live among them. Feyre apologizes for trashing the curtains, and Alice admits that she is impressed at Feyre's willingness to fight and survive. Feyre starts to probe Alice for information on where in Perithian she is. Somewhere safe. Okay, well, what Fey is she to be cautious of? All of them. More unhelpful, empty answers. Feyre peers into her reflection while Alice fixes her up for the day. She has her mother's nose, her father's soft mouth, and her mother and Nesta's eyes, and all features that remind her of the worst things and the worst people from her human life. She tells herself this must be why Tamlin had such a hard time providing a decent compliment to her. After all, she sees so little good, so what good could there even be to say? Feyre asks Alice what she should do now. Alice, like everyone else, offers nothing. With that, Feyre begins to wander about. Feyre happens upon some paintings that stir her soul awake. Feyre is consumed by their glory, appreciating the skill and brilliance of it all. She's only able to settle on one description. Remarkable. Feyre forcibly tears herself away and wanders on. Tamlin creeps up and grumpily offers her a tour of the grounds. No thank you, Feyre replies. Tamlin doesn't accept this and offers again, despite Feyre refusing. Tamlin insists she come along, advising he won't kill her. Feyre shoots back that he may still harm her, though. Tamlin and Feyre verbally spar over her safety and the uninterest the Fey have in actually harming Feyre, humans, or even the wall. Feyre wants to know why Andrus would have even been at the wall then. Tamlin appears caught off guard by this and freezes before explaining that there is a blight across Prithian affecting their magic in unexplainable ways, such as forcing masks onto the faces of the Fey with no way to remove them. It's a cruel, odd blight, but not an illness, and Andrus was sent to find a cure. Someday, this blight could spread and harm the humans. Tamlin eventually asks Feyre if her tripwire trap had been meant for him. Feyre is indirect, but she does confirm this. Tamlin reassures her that he is civilized despite his monstrous form, to which Feyre replies by watching his claws. Tamlin backs down and leaves Feyre be. Feyre takes this new information on the blight and questions to herself if the Fey would even bother to warn the humans of the possible threat. But deep down, Feyre knows the answer. And scene. That was dramatic chapter readings with Libby. Chapter 8. Feyre pretended to walk through the gardens, but she was actually figuring out where she could hide if she ever needed to. She knew there wouldn't be any ash trees in the garden, but she needed to find a weapon. And soon. She had figured out the night before that her window wasn't locked and knew that if she needed to escape, repelling down the wall wasn't out of the question. The reminder that the rest of Perinthian was a death sentence for humans kept her from executing this plan. Instead, it prompted her to try to find an ally to talk to Tamlin on her behalf. Alice's reminder that Lucian could do with someone snapping at him ran through Feyre's mind. As much as she was sure he hated her, Lucian was the closest to Tamlin and wanted her gone as much as she did. Wandering had led her to a bench hidden in a nook of the garden, and as she approached it, she heard the sound of two sets of feet walking on the gravel behind her. She spun around to see who had followed her, but found no one. Trusting her instincts, she didn't lower her guard and visually swept the garden and flower field 
around her. From behind her, she could hear giggling and sniffing scarily close to her. She attempted to look behind her again, but only saw a silvery light flickering at the edge of her vision. As the sound of gravel crunching came closer, she turned around to face the strangers, two small beings that only came up to waist height. She clenched her fist, readying herself. Alice's voice came from the house, calling her to lunch. With that, the shimmering beings disappeared, and in their place stood two worn statues of lambs. She headed back to the house, but couldn't shake the feeling that somebody was still watching her. That night at dinner, while Lucian babbled about some magic stuff that Feyre had no interest in, she stole a knife. She needed something, anything, to protect herself. She studied the men's weapons, an ornate blade on Lucian, and three knives strapped to Tamlin. It led Feyre's mind to wander to thoughts of the monsters that lurked in the Feylands, how Lucian had lost his eye, how he gained his scar across his face, and how far Tamlin's orders to not harm her really spread. Lucian caught her staring at him and smiled smugly. He asked if she was just admiring the sword or contemplating killing him. She denied it, but became nervous that they might have somehow sensed her stealing the knife. Tamlin, attempting to break the awkward silence, stated to Lucian that Feyre liked to hunt. Feyre explained that she didn't like to hunt, but she had to do it as a means to an end. They had to eat, and since her father wasn't providing, she had to. Feyre stared down at the stupidly expensive plate and contemplated how she could have bought a team of horses, a plow, and a field for just one plate. Her thoughts were interrupted by a question from Lucian. How old was she? She calmly responded 19. Though she wanted to be snippy with him, she reminded herself she reminded herself that she needed to be pleasant instead for any hope of his aid. She reminded herself of the promise that she made to her mom and unclenched her fists. She dreamed of a pleasant life, her sisters married, a lifetime with her father, food, time to paint. If she could get out of this treaty, she could make that dream happen. So, as casually as she could, she prodded the men in front of her for information and asked what they did with their lives. She did throw in a few jabs. Did they normally spare humans from the treaty and have these luxurious meals? Lucian, not shockingly, gave a smart aleck response, leading Tamlin to cut in. Did her mom not tell her anything about the Fae? Feyre tensed. No, her mom didn't have time for that. Tamlin then asked how her mother had died, and Feyre, confused as to how he knew that information she hadn't shared, revealed that it was Typhus when she was eight. Tamlin gave his condolences, and instead of facing their pity, Feyre left. She didn't care if Tamlin thought of her as rude. She was better off trying to get Lucian to speak to Tamlin for her. She'd do it tomorrow, as soon as she could. Returning to her room, she packed up a small bag she found in her armoire with clothes and her stolen knife. Just in case. Bam, bam, bam. A cliffhanger? That's a first. A cliffhanger? Who would have thought? What? It's almost like I want to read the next chapter or something. It's almost like I didn't sleep when I was reading this. I probably should just get the bags under my eyes tattooed at this point. They're a mass specialty, okay? That's a sign of addiction. It was cool to learn, like, why they're wearing the masks. It's not just, like, a fashion statement. Yeah, I think I was more relieved to hear they couldn't take them off rather than they wouldn't take them off. Yeah, that is a kind of a weird choice, a fox mask. I was like, oh, you're choosing this. You want this. Okay. I'm glad we learned a little bit more about the storyline because I was getting a little confused for a little bit. Yeah. Like, there was a lot being thrown at us. These fairies are really old. They wear masks. They don't really do anything. We don't know why they exist. It was just a lot at once. They're basically immortal. They're faster. They're stronger. <laughs> Good luck doing anything against them. Right. Like fancy vampires. It's fine. Well, and not just like High Faye, but like even Alice. Alice can take you out if she wants to. I'm starting to like Alice. Yeah. I get why you like her. It took me a little bit and I'm starting to like her. I really thought of her as like a background character, but she's starting to have some importance. Any character for me that's like snarky and in a redeemable way, 
it's automatically my character type. Like I love someone with some sass and some attitude, but in a lovable way. So is that why you love Lucian? I yeah, absolutely. I don't like being having a character that's so cheesy or like sweep me off my feet in such like the the stereotypical way. It's just cringy for me. I can't. I need you to engage with the character more. I need you to be able to poke fun at them and get deeper with them. Well, then Lucian is literally the best character for you because that is his main job so far. Right now, yeah. Of all the characters we've met, Lucian has been my favorite to interact with. I know he's your favorite, um, but can we talk about your least favorite? Um, Our favorite monster man who finally has a name. It only took seven chapters. Right. So which my phone wanted to change to Tanline every time I typed out notes on this. And I was like, "Mm, no, that's funny. That's good. But no, it's Tanline. Tanline. He is surely a very dominant man. I can't. I can't with him. He's the type of person, the type of male, whatever, the type of being. If my if my daughter brought someone home like that, no, automatically no. Anyone that feels the need to control someone so much, it's too much for me. I, I mm. So you know how we went through all of chapter six where like she wasn't eating and finally she starts to eat and then Tamlin goes, you're done. That's a bullet point for me. Yeah, I thought there's a Libby bullet point on that. I was so mad. It's like, you spent how long telling her she needed to eat? And it, like, there was so much contradiction to it because he, he'd be like, I don't, I don't care what you do. Eat. And it's like, bro, okay. Like, you don't care what she does. Pick a side. And then she does. She finally does it. And you take it away from her. Like, my guy. Like, for someone who doesn't care what happens to her, you really seem to care what happens to her. And it's not cute. It's not... It's not like, oh, he does like me. No, he's the type of guy that when we were growing up, we were told when a boy pulls your hair, it means he likes you. That's the vibe I'm getting from him. He's pulling Feyre's hair. I'm starting to get the the vibe that Feyre likes it. As annoyed as she is, like, she starts to compliment him. She's like, I couldn't ignore his beauty of his strong jaw and the richness of his golden tan skin. He was probably handsome. If you ever took that mask off. How how funny would it be if like he takes it off and it's like, oh, oh. And she's like, never mind. Put it back on. Can you put that mask back on? Can we can we wear that again? Oh, God. Those shimmering emeralds really did something for your eyes. You know, the blight is more of a favor at this point. Oh, man. I, I think it's the controlling of every move she makes, but then gaslighting her. And to be like, but you can do whatever you want, you know, stop eating right now. But you can do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. You can tell Farah in some way, there are moments where you're like, is she digging this? Like, is she actually like, I don't get it, Farah. I don't make it make sense to me because it doesn't. Okay. But I also might like some of it because I made a little bullet point in the book, Libby. It is on page 62 and it's. It's when he's explaining to Feyre that her family is actually being taken care of and she's good to go. Like, she can stop worrying about them. He's got him covered. And she's like, you promise? Like, you swear to it? And he says, on everything I am and possess. And I don't know why, but it's kind of hot. I have to say, at this point, if Lucian said something like that, I'd be like, that is hot. Like, yes, I will give you that. Yes. I think it's just the person. It- See? But right now, 
Tamlin is giving me so little to work with. The fact that the best he could do for a compliment was you look clean. Bro, what? Well, she does. Okay, I'm going to stick up for Tamlin right now. He didn't have to give a compliment. He had to do zero. She killed his friend. And he's still trying. Those are not the standards we are about to hold for ourselves, Abby, is that he didn't have to be nice for two seconds. We are going to expect more from our men in these books, our fantasy men. No, if you are going to sweep us off our feet, I, I expect a little bit more effort. Something like... Well, I don't think he's I don't think he's trying to sweep anybody off of her feet. I think he is just enjoying the almost cat and mouse game here because not only is he like on everything I am and possess, I'll protect your family. But then he takes it back and he's like, but if you like try to flee, I'm not taking care of your family anymore. That was threatening to me. That pissed me off. Like, don't worry. They're well taken care of. If you do as I say, bro. Psych. That felt controlling. That was manipulative. It's like, if you obey my commands, if you do as I tell you, then yeah, everything will be great. Like, bro. Literally, like the following page, he's like, all right, one more bite and you'll hurl your guts up. Says who? Says who? Can you feel her stomach right now? Do you know exactly what she's feeling? No. Screw off, my dude. Are you a nutritionist? A dietitian, sir? Do you know a gastroenterologist? What limits she has? No. No, sir. So what if she throws up? It's her body. Let her do what she wants. This is the first time she's eating food. She finally felt comfortable enough to eat the food you're giving her. You basically begged her for an entire chapter to eat. And now that she's doing it, you're like, mm, too much. Well, and not only is it the first time she's eaten in days at this point, but who knows how long it's been since she's actually been able to eat till she's full. Never. Who knows how long it's been till she's been too comfortably have a meal and not walk away wishing like still feeling hungry or still feeling weak in some sense and he takes that away from her he takes away the choice her choice her freedom to choose when she should be done and she already has so little choices in this world we talked about this the last episode she's so much is out of her control and she finally made the decision to eat and now he's like hands up you're done i don't even do that to my kid i don't even do it to mine my my kid has the freedom to decide if they are full or not. If if at the table, she's like, I can't eat anymore. I'm not going to be like, you're going to sit and eat. Or if she, if she is still eating, I'm not going to be like, you've eaten too much. That's enough. She needs to be able to know for herself. And she's a, she's a toddler. She's going in. She's in elementary. But not a 19-year-old. She, she surely doesn't know what she needs. No, not a 19-year-old. A 19-year-old doesn't know what her body would her body is telling her to do or not do now this strange male not even a human male just some strange fey male would know her body better than she does he has lots of red flags he needs some self-discovery as our favorite saying here on akotap he needs therapy you know we could do good with some group therapy some one-on-one individual therapy i mean there's a lot there's a lot that we could dissect libby do you know why they don't have time for therapy why don't they have time abby because there's a whole blight that's like sickening the land. <laughs> They're a little busy. So what do we know about the blight at this point, though? We know that the blight glues masks to their faces. Time for Facts with Abby, which is my new favorite segment. Um, 
let's see here. There's a sickness in the lands across all of Perinthian. It's been going on for the last like 50 years. It spreads slowly, but it makes magic act strangely. Tamlin said his own powers were diminished due to it. The masks that they're wearing are a result of the blight. A surge that happened 50 years ago and everybody that was at this big party now has these masks on their face indefinitely until they can fix the sickness. And the coolest thing that we found out, I think personally, was that Andres was across the wall that day because he was going to search for a cure, trying to figure out like how to fix the, the blight, which makes sense because I didn't know why he had crossed the wall. And so to know that he was going to try to find a cure for his land, one is amazing. And two kind of makes me understand why Lucian was so upset because this man was just going across the wall to be able to help, you know, his whole court. And they were friends. And he's trying to find a cure to fix it. And Vera killed him while he was searching for a cure. Like, not only was it his friend, but now it was like his salvation. Focusing back on Andrus, I mean, poor Lucian. We've already, we already briefly touched on how he's now coming in into the dining room where the killer of his friend is sitting there dining, supposedly, supposed to be dining with them. And he's got a treat her with kindness um not only that but Pharaoh starts saying you know like get me out of this like what you don't need me here what can I do to atone what a slap in the face because which brings my favorite line of the two chapters in where favorite like I said she's asking what can I do to atone like what can I do to earn my freedom and go home and be done with all of this and yeah to Lucian that's a gut punch because he says atone have you even apologized yet like ooh, like oh. that that hit me you know, you start to realize she did, she did do that. She killed his friend. And to her, yeah, we get her perspective at first, obviously, in those first few chapters of he's a threat, that he's going to kill everybody. But looking back, he wasn't going after her. Andrus didn't make any moves to attack her even after she attacked him. So all these threats that she had were just from folktale hyping up the Fae to be these evil creatures. And even Lucian's like, why do we discuss you so much? What have we done? I mean, it's been how many years? What have they actually done that she has record of? Well, now we know the backstory. Like, they've been dealing with this huge sickness. Yes. They're sending their people across the wall to try to find a cure. They're risking their own lives just to try to to fix the court and here Feyre comes not giving an absolute crap if she kills one of them right and she's like how can I get out of this I don't think Feyre is the only one that wouldn't have minded killing I mean all all of the humans seem to other than the children of the blessed seem to have this attitude that killing a Fey would have been a good thing all in all I think it's it's almost a big example of miscommunicating and how we could have easily through group therapy solved <laughs> our problems our communication issues yeah our communication issues how could we have used our words guys let's start with i feel statements communication wise at least when they're sitting down to have dinner they are i mean they don't have to tell her any of this realistically and so they are trying to involve her at least a little bit in telling her them what's going on why they're wearing the silly masks which is funny to me that they'll tell her more about like the blight than they will give her ideas on how to spend the rest of her days it's like what can i do with my free time nothing yeah what am i supposed to do here nothing don't talk to me go somewhere else but hey, here's this deep history on like what's crippling our lands and our magic. This this vulnerability we now have. But don't ask me what to do in your free time. What are you supposed to do in your free time? Walk around. The second chapter that we're covering, chapter eight, she's like, what should I do? And they're like, take a walk. 
And so she goes and takes this walk, and then she gets followed by these like creatures, these little, only up to her waist, shimmering silver creatures. And she's like, "What the hell is going on?" And before she can like address them, Alice calls her for lunch, and they just disappear and turn into lambs, statues of lamb. I'm sorry, bestie, what? It had me nervous. I was like, is she about to get, like, attacked or kidnapped? Like, what is happening? What are these two? Because we're warned, like, don't trust anyone by Alice. She's like, she won't tell her specifically where she's at or who to be cautious of. But basically, you're safe-ish. Don't trust anybody. Thanks. Thank you. If you stay here, you're relatively safe. But she's even on the lands and, and still these little creatures are coming up. And I really wanted to know more about them. And then they just, like, magically disappear and turn into stone that's fine. And I like how she's like, the only meal I'm invited to with these two is dinner. And I'm not even mad about it. She's like, I don't think I could do all three meals. That's a lot. I'll be fine. In chapter seven, the dinner was like, hey, here's everything wrong with our land. And then the dinner after that was like, hey, tell me about you. How old are you? I know your mom died, even though you didn't tell me. How'd she die? Speaking of, thank you for reminding me. Let's, look, let's take a look. Let's do a deep dive. Typhus, an infectious disease caused by uh-huh, something characterized by a purple rash, headaches, fever, and usually delirium, and historically ca- a cause of high mortality during wars and famines. Great. Okay. So she got really feverish and then died, yeah? It's, yeah, like feverish rashes everywhere and delirious, which... It makes me wonder, like, do you think she knew she was talking to Pharaoh when she told her to take care of her sisters? Oh, my God. I didn't even think about She might have been talking to, thinking she was talking to the dad, like, take care of the girls. Or Nesta, even. Oh, my gosh. She's making all these decisions based on that one promise to her mom. It could have been an accident. And what if her mom wasn't even lucid enough to know? Oh, that sucks. Right? Feyre is really not in touch with her emotions. Anytime that emotions get high, she's like, all right, peace out, I'm out. And that's exactly what happened at the end of the chapter. She's like, they were trying to give me some sort of like condolences. I don't know how to process that. I'm out. And not only did she physically leave the room and go back to her bedroom, but then she goes and packs a little, little bag up just in case. Where's she going to go? I don't know because she even says to Alice in chapter seven about she doesn't expect to outrun them or to fight them off or escape them when she's setting that trap, which made me very sad that like, she's like, I just don't want to die not knowing that's what's happening to me. When I go through the book and I'll, I'm going to go ahead and post on our Instagram so you can see how I do it. I'm highlight really important things. And one of the colors that I use to highlight is for emotional sections and something that like I honestly got true emotion with because I, when I'm reading, I cannot see the book as a movie in my head. I don't envision the characters. I When I close my eyes, it's just black. And so it's not like I can see this movie playing. It's the opposite for me. Right. So you can see the movie playing. Right. I cannot. The world is, the world is created for me in emotions only. Okay. So if it's a really tense part of the book or if somebody's heart is breaking... I feel that. I can't see the movie, but I can feel those emotions so deeply. And so one of the emotional parts, and really the only emotional part of this book so far that I personally highlighted, or one of the only, was when Alice walks in and she gets trapped and she's like, Farrah, what is going, why did you do this? Yeah. And she's gets, you know, really upset. And she says, you think a bit of rope 
You think a bit of rope snapping in my face will keep me from breaking your bones? You think that'll do anything against one of us? And you can just feel her like, you stupid girl. Yeah. Really? That's going to that's gonna help you? Some rope? Well, because to Alice, it's very surface level. Alice is just like, really? Come on now. Like, you're not going to get away from us. Don't be so dumb. Don't waste my time. Don't trash my freaking curtains. I see her in that moment for the first time being angry. Because before, she's just been, you know, motherly annoyed. And this is the first time she's like, really? You think that's going to save you? Like, use your brain. But as soon as Feyre explains it, it's like she kind of softens a bit where it's like, oh, you know, like she kind of eases up where and, and is just like, well, I'm impressed by your your want to live, your want to fight. Well, yeah, after, I mean, Feyre apologizes. So I think that kind of mends things. Alice goes like, at least you're willing to put up a fight, girl. I'll give you that. That was the first bit of anger I've ever felt from Alice. And for it to be, you can't save yourself. Don't even try. See, and I saw it more from Fair's perspective, so that just hurts me to hear that side. So thanks. That just like, ah, that makes me feel hopeless for her. Okay, well, we're going to turn that around, and that's really sad. Uh, we're not going to process those emotions. Question, do you have a favorite quote? Oh, you already read your favorite quote. I mean, I have honorable mentions, but yeah, the one about uh, basically a tone, Lucian said, have you even apologized yet? That is definitely my favorite, but I do have honorable mentions if you want those at all. What's your honorable mention? So I've got uh, where Feyre says, what I meant was, so I'm to stay in luxury while my family starves to death. Like that, that point really hits home a lot for me that she, she, she can't get past that, nor would I be able to thinking of like, look at all the spoils I'm getting while my family slowly falls apart and, and withers away. And you got to think Feyre's so used to being the provider. And now she's in this world where she has no purpose. And so I think the, the thing that was keeping her going was I've got to provide for my family. She's dropped into every luxury she's ever needed. And she doesn't feel needed anymore. Yes. I also like some of the descriptions of the Fae where there's one where um, SJM, Bestie SJM says, uh, describes them as immovable gods or feral courtiers. Um, And then she also mentions on another page of why use weapons when you were the weapon yourself. It's like, oh, like you almost forget just how terrifying that they have the potential to be. Oh. And then she, they're immovable gods. They are the weapons. It's like, oh, yeah, the Feyre has every, like she's absolutely justified in being terrified. The Feyre has humanized these people so much by like spitting back at them, by being a smart aleck right by, back to them that you almost forget that, oh crap, these are monsters. These are monstrous creatures by blood. I mean, they're not even trying and they're terrifying. I really like my quote this week. My favorite quote's on page 69, of course. And it says, beauty didn't mean anything in the forest. It hits home because I've spent a lot of my life trying to be pretty for other people. Yeah. And it it boils down to, does it matter? Does it matter? That's not going to keep you alive. And that's kind of a nice quote for working out, honestly, you know? beauty doesn't matter in the forest it only matters what you can do and so if i look like a sloppy hot mess after a good workout doesn't matter want, do you want one to lighten the mood a bit because killing us is easier in pants <laughs> i did like that i think that's the first real smart alecky we've gotten from tamlin he's been pretty sad and reserved 
it made me go from five red flags to four. I was like, okay, all right, we can joke. We can we can ease up a bit. He's just really uptight. We'll give him chances, maybe. Libby, I've said this every week, and I genuinely mean it every week. I love the star of the week this week. They're such cool people in the Akatar community, and the fact that we get to work with them um, is amazing. So this week... Our star of the week, her name's Alyssa, and she owns Bewicked Studio, which uh, they do a bunch of candles. Libby, how cute is that? Bewicked? Like bewitched? I love it. Alyssa actually gave us some information about her business, and I'd like to read it. So she says, for starters, my name is Alyssa, and I'm 25 years old. I live in Massachusetts with my boyfriend and my cat, Cosmo. I have always, always in all caps, Loved books when I was a kid. However, I strayed away as a teenager and a young adult. My sister introduced me to the Akatar series in 2021, and it absolutely changed me. It was back to being book obsessed. While reading SJM's books, her graphic descriptions of scents and fragrances inspired me. Smells have always intrigued me. They can bring back a memory or trigger certain emotions. I wanted to turn my love for these books into something tangible that would really take you to these amazing places we read about. This initial inspiration led me to months of testing and research on everything related to candles and wax melts. By March of 22, I had plenty of I had plenty of ideas for bookish and fandom scents and a clear idea on a business that uses bright, happy colors and embraces, quote, nerdy or different interests. We launched on June 25th of 2022, which by the way, she's coming up on one year which is amazing. It has been everything I dreamed of and more. All of our SJM scents are officially licensed now, of course. Amazing. I am particularly proud and loving of our part of our Adriata summer court set right now. It was the first scent that she created inspired by Akatar and holds a special place in her heart. It is a light and fresh scent with notes of coconut, lime, and sandalwood. Perfect for this spring into summer transition. So guys, I think I, Libby and I were going through her website earlier today and we've got a problem because. Go ahead and put two of those in my shopping cart. I want everything. I want Cassian smell. My bank account says no. My heart says please. I want it all and my wallet says no and we're in a disagreement right now. My favorite scent from her shop so far because she's she's got the option to like shop by adventure which is the cutest way to say that. So she's got a ton. She's got like Game of Thrones. She's got uh, Wednesday Addams. She's got vampires, mythology. She's even got gaming ones, bookish ones, and of course our favorite Sarah J Mass or my favorite Sarah J Mass candle is actually sold out right now. It's called Starfall. It's a purple candle and it comes in this iridescent, beautiful container. The fragrant notes for this, the top of it is like lemon peel, sugar, and black raspberry and palm. And then the middle notes are lemongrass, rose petals, amber, and soft peony. And the base is a light musk, vanilla bean, and sea salt. You cannot tell me that that doesn't sound like the best candle you've ever heard. And finally, I almost forgot this and I would have been so sad. Arcana, our favorite music artist, just released a new album. And she is the person who is responsible for our theme music. She is I Am Arcana on Instagram. And her new album is called Under the Hill. And it's all bookish songs. So literally, it's made for our people. And the artwork is stunning. It looks like something you'd find on the front of a book. We've got not only our star of the week, we've got a little bonus as always because we love Arcana, but she's got the new album. So please go take a listen. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you guys. 
Send us an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com. Tell us everything, how you found the series, your favorite characters, questions you have for us. Please, please send us the icebreaker questions. We love interacting with you guys. If you have suggestions, if you want to be our star of the week or want us to check somebody out, let us know. Slide in the DMs. We're waiting for you, listener. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We'll see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. Can't get hold of my feelings. With you in my head. With you in my heart. I'm not afraid of the dark. I sing it all the time and James goes, are you afraid of the dark? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Thank you. I'm not afraid. No, I'm not.